hosted by Mike the Big Cheese. Sunday, May 3rd. we got a great show for everybody tonight. Carl Wilcox from Requiem and Oscar Jacobson from Ambush will be on tonight's show. Right there, Nasty Savage, Dungeons of Pleasure. That was a dungeon I would have loved to have been in back in the 80s. I love those guys. I remember getting their first demo tape uh, during a tape trade. Uh, it was the Raw Mayhem one uh, in 1984, and then picked up the Wage of Mayhem. They came off their first record from 85, the self-titled Nasty Savage record. That record, to me, was a masterpiece. Uh, from start to finish, not one bad song on there. Came out on Metal Blade Records, 
They followed it up about two years later with Indulgence, and it was a little different to me. It kind of lost that rawness of that first record, or even the Wage of Mayhem demo, which I absolutely loved. And they followed it up with Penetration Point, and then in 2004, Psycho Psycho. Even though the band had broken up, I believe for the first time in 90 or 93, they got back together in 2002 for a couple of years, put out that record, and then broke up again, and reunited in 2016. We've had Nasty Ronnie on the show a few times, Dave Austin. I hear that they're working on new music. I know Ronnie posted a, a snippet of a song a couple of years ago. I think it might have been before Dave was uh, back involved with the band again officially. And it just didn't sound right to me. I mean, it, it sounded electronic, like that was something like electronica type of sound of music. I don't know if it was a goof or not, but hopefully they're working on new music. We'll get something out because we're going on close to 20 years since the last Nasty Savage record. So let's make it happen. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing here today. How about a little minotaur with fast... No, no, let's do fist fight. Here you go.
Man, that's some great new stuff by Black Phantom out of Italy. Hordes of Destruction comes off the band's second record, Zero Hour Is Now. Go pick it up. The band's been around for about six years. They put out the first record three years ago called Better Beware. And this is an amazing follow-up. So check it out. Go pick up a copy of the record. It's on Punishment 18 Records. Like I said, a solid, solid band. Before that, a little Destructor. Haven't played them in a while on the show. with Tear Down the Heavens. And we started off that set with Minotaur and Fast Fight. We're going to get to our first interview in about uh, t- less than 10 minutes or so. We've got to have time to play one or two more songs. But, you know, you know the, the metal news has been pretty quiet lately because nobody's touring. There's not much going on. Outside new albums being released, not much is happening, you know. And if you go to Blabbermouth, there's usually nothing but a bunch of uh, live performances from four or five months ago. So not much going on out there in the real world. I know Excited is working on some new music. They've been for two years. I believe they had quite a few songs in the can, but when uh, John Ricci left the band, I guess the songs kind of went with them. They have a new guitar player in there now, and uh, I guess he's working on the new music with Alan Johnson and Dan Bueller. Uh, you know, I love Excited. I was so happy when that original version of the band got back together, and I was lucky enough to see them at the Defenders of Old Festival. It felt like being at Lemoore back in the early 80s when I saw them for the first time. It was a great show. So uh, if you would think, like, after 30-something years, I mean, Excited has gone to the lines where Dan was in the band, and then he was out. John was in the band, and Dan was out. You know, <laughs> It seems like after those first couple of records, either one fraction of the group was out and one was in. Alan Johnson was out. Richie and Beale were back in. So you think like after thirty something years of it, and when they got back together, it'd be more for fun now because let's face it, guys like that aren't going to be playing Madison Square Garden anytime soon. So you think they'd just be having fun, going out there, doing the festivals, playing the shows, and, and you know bullshit comes up and they wind up you know breaking up, not breaking up, but John wound up leaving the band again, breaking up that classic lineup. Uh, the new guitar player is not bad. He's a young kid. He's not bad. But songwriting-wise, John was the heart of that band when it came to the songwriting. I mean, if you listen to Dan Beeler's solo records, I mean, Dan's a great singer and an amazing drummer. Uh, but there was just nothing interesting about those two solo Beeler records that he put out. There was nothing interesting about them at all. You know, most of those great riffs. And I think John is an extremely underrated guitar player, especially when it comes to writing songs. You know, he wrote some amazing tunes, had some great riffs there. Whether it was with that classic lineup or the lineups that didn't have, uh, you know, Dan Beeler singing in the band. Uh, they had a bunch of different singers in there. Even the latest stuff, a Kenny Winter singer, was uh, just great music. I never considered it to be Exciter, you know, because to me that was those three guys. But it was still great albums that came out under a different name. You know, you would have said, holy shit, there's some really good stuff there. But if you're a diehard and a purist, you're like, all right, this is really great, but it's not Exciter. So we'll see what happens with it. I won't really feel like it's exciting when it comes out, but you never know. We'll see what happens. All right, let's get into some more music here. We'll play one more tune. Maybe we'll jump into some brand new Requiem after that, even though it's not really brand new. It's an older album uh, re-released. We'll play something off of that, and then we'll talk to Carl Wilcox, who also has been playing drums for Diamond Head for the last 20-something years. So uh, let's start with a little Helen Bach, All Systems Go, and then we'll jump into some Requiem.
this is Mike. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Mike. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And I have to tell you, I'm happy that this album got re-released again. You know, it's been about 16 years since it came out. And a whole new audience is out there for Time Will Tell. Yes, right. Yeah, that's what we, uh, that's what we thought. Um, because, you know, there, there is possibly a new one in the, in, in the work. So to get Time Will Tell re-released, I thought it was a really good, um, you know, let, let's do it. And also, you know, hopefully uh, it's, it's come out on vinyl, I think. So it never came out on vinyl in its first release. So that's just fantastic, you know, because then you really get to appreciate the artwork. And also, us being a new wave of British heavy metal band, we grew up with vinyl, you know, not the CD. So that's a, a bit of a win-win for, oh, for us and, and all the Wobbuffin fans. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have the CD from when it came out back in 2006. And somebody who grew up in, in the 70s buying vinyl, I'm happy that it is on vinyl. Because to me, that's the best way to hear music, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, <coughs> excuse me, you know, there are those... Uh, folks who uh, have always believed that uh, vinyl slash acetate sounds better than, uh, uh, you know, CDs. So, um, you know, it's just great. And it's come out on good quality uh, vinyl as well. And Dissonance, you know, uh, you know, put out a good product. You know, as, you know, as you're aware, I also play with Diamond Head. You know, and they, uh, Dissonance has released four Diamond Head records. And, you know, they've done a really, really, really good job on all, all the marketing and promo. So... I knew when, you know, I managed to get it through to Dissonance and uh, Steve Beatty. And I spoke with Steve Slater, you know. Uh, I said, look, you know, let's, let's, let's go with Dissonance. They've got a good new wave of British heavy metal roster. They'll, you know, they'll give it a good push. They'll give it a, a good new breath of fresh air, uh, which, you know, we sort of, you know, back in 2005, 2006, when we were doing this and it came out, you know, it, it probably just didn't quite have the sort of push um, that dissonance have around the world, you know, so, you know, a win-win for everybody, really. Also, as a band, you know, dissonance, uh, obviously, you know, my connection with dissonance through Diamond Head, and also, you know, with Steve Slater now, you know, for us to potentially, possibly, hopefully get another record out, you know, and we've got a label to put it out on this time who's, you know, would be interested in doing it, instead of us having to think about self-finance and etc etc so yeah it's, it's really good you know really that, that'll be great i remember when i read that distance was going to you know re-release the album like you know requiem's debut record i'm like i'm laughing because like the band's been around and you know i mean there's a lot of years where you guys are down but the band came out in 1979 they're talking about a debut record 30 something years later and i was like a lot of people think you were a new band at that time not realize that you've been around in one way or another since you know the late 70s oh yeah yeah you know i mean I, I think Angel of Sin uh, was released in 1980. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, 1979, we were definitely, you know, practicing. And, you know, I think we had a couple of shows. So, um, again, you know, obviously, we were just trying to emulate the bands that, you know, that we were into, you know. So, you know, we, we'd have four pallets on nine beer crates for a drum riser and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the time, so, you know, you know, you know, all the kind of stuff that you know the American thrash bands did, because you know they sort of, you know, tried to emulate Judas Priest. You want to go see Judas Priest? There was Les Binks on a drum riser, you know what I mean? Or you know, go see Rainbow and there's Cozy Bell, and uh, you know, then Lizzie Brian Downey, etc., etc., etc. So yeah, when we started New Orleans, yeah, we the show was yeah we carried a 
<laughs> Four pallets and nine beer crates. <laughs> well, you, well, you, know, um, you, you talk about those bands like, you know, Rainbow and Black Sabbath and Judas Priest. I mean, they had already had their foot through the door since like the early 70s, and they were making a name for themselves. But, you know, bands like Iron Maiden were just getting started maybe a year or two before you, and a lot of the newer bands that were coming out at that time, like Raven or Venom, all the other bands that came out of that era, were kind of just starting up like you guys were. So you were kind of there and involved at a time when the scene really didn't exist, at least the scene they know as the new wave of British heavy metal. You guys probably didn't even know what that was at the time because no, no, it had no, no name. No, yeah, well, you know... It, you know, as, as folks know, new wave of British heavy metal was, you know, introduced by a, you know, a journalist and um, Jeff Barton. And uh, um, you, you know, we, myself and Steve, you know, and Gordon um, and Steve's brother Nez, we would go see bands at Wolverhampton Civic Hall or Birmingham Odeon or Stafford Bingley Hall, which was also nicknamed the Cowshed because that's exactly what it was. It was an agricultural cowshed, so the sound was absolutely horrible in there compared to uh, a theatre-type venue. Um, you know, so we would go see UFO, The Scorpions, Thin Lizzy, Nazareth, Judas Priest, um, and then also you would see the um, the early New Oberham bands who would be supporting these bands. You know, I remember seeing Iron Maiden. Um, supporting Judas Priest of Birmingham Odeon, and you know, for a support band, they had a little uh, like a I don't know if it was a, an LED, but it wouldn't be LED, but a bulb lit picture of Eddie behind Clive Burr. And I just thought, wow, okay, now yeah, that's the shit right there, isn't it? you know, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, dude, you know, so so you know, we sort of we grew, we, we we witnessed New Oberham bands supporting bands, as I say, like UFO, Scorpions, you know, um, Rainbow, etc., etc. And we hoped that we would be there, and we were fortuitous to do that. We supported Budgie, um, and you know, so we actually got the chance to do that. So people actually got to see Requiem on a big stage, you know, supporting a big band at the time, Budgie. Um, at the time when, quote-unquote, this new wave of British heavy metal was being cementing, was cementing itself as a part of a music genre history. At the time, we were just trying to emulate, you know, these bands. I mean, we also rehearsed in a room where Judas Priest rehearsed. Uh, St. Mary's in Wensfield. In fact, the Judas Priest logo was, you know, stenciled on the one room, and that was the best room to rehearsing at the St. Mary's Church. It was, you know, so, we, again, just emulating and, um, you know, doing what we wanted to do and try to do, but not knowing, quote-unquote, this thing, New Wave of British Heavy Metal, we would become part of, because we just wanted to be rock band. Um, some people have described us as being potentially some of the early forerunners to doom metal, especially with Mike Reed, the original singer, very monotonal um, and very sort of Morrissey from the Smiths. So what we were doing behind was Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, meets ACDC, meets UFO, <laughs> meets Deep Purple. And on top of that, we had a bit of a Smith vocalist. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not the kind of vocalist we were looking for. And I think Steve would agree that if we could have had someone like Ian Gillen, then that's who Steve really would have um, 
at lighters of Arcliffe, but, you know, Mike Reader was a phenomenal lyricist. I mean, he had a book you'd bring to rehearsals and you'd read some of the lyrics and you'd be like, well, dude, this is like, you know, this is the shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, no. If you listen to the songs on that early cassette, like Mist of Hell and Devil's Shrine and Sinner's Remorse, you know, you yeah. could hear there was something going on there that was different than a lot of other things that were happening at the time. And then oh, the yeah. single comes yeah. out that you guys put out on your own, on Sacrificial, your own little label. Yep. But then, like, yep. after that, nobody hears from the band, even though you did go on for uh, another two or three years, probably. Nobody yes. heard anything about it after that. Well, you, you, uh, once once the split with Mike Reed happened, um, he formed uh, his own band and called it Requiem. And he, you know, there was a whole bunch of, like, stuff that went down the road. So we just ended up changing our name to Verdi Requiem. And then uh, Steve Mills from the another new wave of British heavy metal band joined the uh, band uh, from Trespass. Um, so, you know, once he joined the band, he brought a little bit more of a, a less, you know, Demons and Castles kind of lyric to the band. Um, so, you know, and just like any band that gets a new vocalist, you know, it's happened with, you know, Van Halen, Diamond Head, ACDC, you know, Black Sabbath, etc., etc. That you know they're going to write about different things, or they're going to have a different style of melody. Uh, you know, so we continued and we fought. But at that time in the UK, uh, the new romantic period was growing. So mm. record companies were not quite so interested in what we were bringing to the table now because they'd already got the three so-called, which was Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, and Saxon. You know, and then just underneath that level, there was, you know, Diamond Head, Girls School, Raven, uh, Tigers of Pantang. You know, both Diamond Head and Tigers of Pantang were signed to um, MCA. So that they almost had that thing. And by the time those records came out, the music scene in the, in the UK changes very, very quickly. But every two to three years, there's something new coming along, uh, coming along on the scene. And by 81, 82, New Romantic, you know, Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, Depeche Mode, you know, The, the Cure, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it was tough, you know. But everything that we had helped facilitate by being a rock band and being part of this thing called New Wave of British Heavy Metal, which we were unaware of, um, obviously just went on, went on to inspire, you know, the East Coast and the West Coast and everything in between the United States of America. And then Thrash was born. You know, because they just took the gauntlet, you know, and, and it took, it took the mantle and ran, ran with it. And, uh, you know, what was some real fast drum speeds, things like, you know, Helpless or Angel of Sin just sort of became blast speeds and fucking twice that speed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's yeah. like, even though it came to an end for us, it was nice to be part of something that launched this thing that's called Thrash and is also, you know, part of the quote-unquote heavy metal uh, genre, which is basically probably the biggest genre in the world, and it's got the most loyal following fans you could possibly have on the planet. You know, because, and, you, and you only have to look at that from all the festivals. I mean, I mean, obviously there are not quite as many metal festivals in the U.S. as I would like, but you know, you look at Europe and the U.K. and you know, metal is, and the rest of the world, and yeah, there are a lot of big metal festivals. You know, so yeah. Know. There, there really are. I mean, is that where Requiem is at today, where it's better to just go out and play the festivals you can get on instead of, like, you know, lugging around from club to club doing some well, old shows? Yeah. You see, okay. Um, to, to get, you see, when, when Steve and I, when we 
then the band was got together, you know, because I, you know, Steve and I met as an audition um, for another band, and we, we, you know, we got on and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and you know, we started work, rehearsing together, and happened one side. You know, we've, we've, we've done all that, and, and there were lots of pubs that had back rooms where bands could play. Okay, there were a lot of venues. I mean, if you look, you go to the New Wave of British Heavy Metal.com website, and there are like almost 400 bands on there. And if you think of that for the size of a country like the United Kingdom, and including Ireland as well, um, that, that's a lot of bands to come out in a short period of time and, you know, to hear a blast because there were a lot of avenues uh, and also people of our age the only thing we could do was you know go to the pub go to a football match or just loiter around the town you know there was no entertainment like there are now for for everybody to do so and you know and the touring scene all over the world there are venues getting less and less it's going more and more and more expensive to do and it's i think it's better to just get exposed on the festival who's willing to, you know, put you on, you know, because that is easy to do. And with the social media now, because, you know, if you want to try and take a band on, the, you know, on, you know, touring, there's a lot of logistics involved. and There's a lot of expense. And for a band like Red Bull, it couldn't command a fee to even warrant covering, you know, just basic expenses, you know, a cheap van living in, a, you know, Roach Motels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not that the band wouldn't love to do that and play that, but, the, you know, it becomes a, a simple logistics. And, you know, we're not all young 18-year-olds anymore. <laughs> it, gets, it gets harder. <laughs> As we get older, it gets harder. You, you, you know, you're, not, you're not so willing to jump to a car with, you know, 10 guys and... and no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but, if, but if somebody was to say, you know, do you want to come and play a show in the U.S. or Canada or Mexico or Germany or, you know... You know, Slovakia or anywhere like that, you know, you guys can be the new wave of British heavy metal band on the bill. You know, we cover your flights and blah, 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 and you make no money. But, yeah, that's a good possibility. The band would possibly entertain that. But, obviously, you couldn't afford to lose money. But, yeah, you know, because uh, the, the smaller venues are closing. I mean, there's like 30, 25 to 30 pubs a month closing in the UK. So, you know, and I, I know when I was, when I first... I was in New York in 1986, and you know, I lived there for like 10 years. There were a lot, a lot of venues, and there aren't quite that many venues there for live bands to go play. You know, so, wow. so there's, there's definitely a knock-on effect for bands, and you've also got a lot of bands now chasing, chasing the dream. You know, sure. You know, but, but when you know when myself and Steve started, it, not everybody wanted to go and be be rock stars. Okay, but now you know that's like a, a norm now. You know what I mean? That that's a, that's a thing. It's just because you know bands, uh, you know, have taken the yes. You can pick up a guitar, learn three chords, and you can you know have a hit single or a hit record. You know, you you know that was one of the beauties of the Nawabahan period is when we first started looking at trying to emulate bands like Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, etc., etc., you know, as a young 14 or 15-year-old, you can just feel really intimidated like, by that. It's like, well, we're never going to get that good by the time people think it's all over here in the UK, which is like 20 or 21, you know, or something like that. You might as well think about getting a real job because, you know, Jimmy Page had been playing for like 20 years by the time we were listening to him. So... Uh, you know, so 
when the punk era came out, which, which was pre-New Wave of British Heavy Metal, th this genre showed, and, you know, from the early, you know, the Ramones as well, showed you with a bit of attitude and three chords, you could fucking do some really good shit. So the Nawabaham, you know, we took that attitude and like, yeah, 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 you don't have to learn to be able to play like, you know, Richie Blackmore or Michael Schenker, but take all that stuff from all those classic bands and fuse it with this, this sort of aggressive new punk thing that was, that was coming around and show you, yeah, anybody can be in a band and you can go and do this. And that's what we did. Yeah, you know, it's very true. I mean, you don't have to be the most technically proficient drummer, guitar player, or singer. But if you can play well enough, but do you feel like, you know, you should master your craft at whatever you play? Or is it enhance, you know, being good at what you do, enhance just having the heart and soul to be the musician? Yeah. Because a lot comes from your heart and soul more than it does your hands. Yeah, I mean, what's it, you know, I think, I'm, I don't know, it could be a quote. I think Einstein said, you know, genius is like, you know, 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration. Yeah, and, true. I, 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 and I think that if you have a passion and whatever it is, and you have a, you know, you set your mind on doing it, then you can achieve it. And you know what? Unfortunately, not everybody can get to be superstars. You know, there's only room at the top for X amount. Everybody can't be a superstar. Or the definition of a superstar, as we know it, quote, unquote, wouldn't really exist. <laughs> you know, it's sort of... So, that, you know, there are certain levels, and but at the end of the day, you know, we look at it and, like, you know, I've been able to make a living, uh, you know, from this. And, you know, I've had times when, you know, I haven't been in a band, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a, a gazillion other musicians and songwriters and actors and uh, playwrights, et cetera. Is that, you know, if, if, if you believe and you are with a, you are with a bunch of people uh, that you're working with, uh, you can make something happen. Yes, there's a, there's a thing in the music um, industry, uh, especially with bands, it's like, you need three things to be in a band. Or, and you could really, you know, put this to, you know, any kind of job, really, or situation. You need three things. One of the, you know, the things is, the first one is money, okay? You know, you, you know money. The second one, the people you're in a band with, do you like? And thirdly, the music you're playing, do you like? Now, as for a band, you know, you can, you only need two of those three. Two of the three to keep a band going. You can make no money, but you think the music you write is the best band in the world and everybody in the band is brilliant. Eh? <laughs> you can hate everybody in the band. The money's fantastic and the music's great. Okay? And then you get to a point where some bands are very, very lucky, like the Led Zeppelins, the Sabbaths, the Metallicas, you know, the Deep Purples, where they manage to get all three. And then, you know, once they get all three, then, you know, then they, you know, suddenly start losing one of them. You know, now, you know, the guitarist is not talking to the vocalist or, you know, it's <laughs> like this and they all start turning up in separate limos or tour buses or even flights, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the music they play is good and the money's good, but they might not necessarily like anything. So for a band, but you could put that analogy to anything that you do, you know. So as long as you enjoy the music you're playing, the people you're with, and you have a belief, then you just go for it. You know, I mean, you can, at the end of the day, whether you succeed or fail, as long as you can look at yourself and say, yeah, you know, I gave it a really, really good shot and not sort of say, I wish I'd have done this or I should have done that. You know, the world's full of woulda, coulda, shouldas. Very, you know? very true. 
Well, you, you know, know. You, you trudged on throughout the 80s playing, but then 1992 comes around. The music is starting to change here in the U.S. and all over the world. Grunge is starting to become popular. That, that type of sound music is taken away from, you know, the hard rock and the metal bands. But Diamond Head, another band from, you know, your time when you started, Reform with Sean Harris and Brian yeah. Tyler, the two main guys, you're a part of that lineup now. And I'm like, yeah. holy cow. I mean, you know, because to me, Sean Harris is one of the most incredible singers in the world, in my oh, opinion. And okay. that album comes out, but it only lasts two years. And before the yeah. band breaks up and starts up again 10 years later with you and Brian. How was yeah. it that first time the band got back together for the first time and you were part of that lineup? Um, well, I, you know, a brief, quick um, we started, Jeff. You know, I've, I've worked with Brian on his solo project, uh, early, uh, mid-80s. Radio Moscow, and then I took a, a trip to New York City uh, to study at the Drummers Collective. And uh, you know, once I was there, I was introduced to a whole new way of life coming from the United Kingdom and being introduced to, you know, New York, New York. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just the greatest city in the world, you know. And I will tip my hat to that, you know, if you guys are hanging out there and you know, fucking staying strong and all that kind of stuff. I like I leave, a special country here in New York compared to the rest of the USA. <laughs> you know, um, you know I, I lived 17 years in and around, you know, New York City and studied for two years in there. And I was in a band called Dark Black Fast that was based in uh, uh, Prospect Park, New York. Uh, Brooklyn, sorry. And um, so, you know, I had a great affinity, you know, for the whole city. But... Uh, so I did the new, I did the Brian, the Radio Moscow thing, and then uh, Sean Harris came down to the studio whilst I was doing some drum tracks, and I, there was something, I, I think there was a, another Diamond Head uh, release being put out, could have been Behold the Beginning, and uh, Brian asked me if I would overdo the 16th note hired pattern on Streets of Gold. Um, and I said, yeah, sure, you know, fine enough. So I, I overdubbed the 16th note hired pattern on Streets of Gold, uh, and one of the nights, Sean came down, and they were discussing business, and I met Sean through that. Then I became good friends with Sean whilst I was going back as a voice to New York. And then I ended up uh, doing, starting work on Sean's solo project, Notorious, with Robin George. Put a long story short, just internal infighting, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I was replaced with the drum machine and a whole bunch of other history, and, like, <laughs> like it all fucking just, you know, whatever. And... So, you know, when the notorious thing uh, sort of fell through and um, what can one say, you know, uh, nobody really knew what the plot was. Brian's Radio Moscow was not really doing much. Sean wasn't doing much with Moscow. And then Pete Winkleman uh, saw Sean Harris sing with Megadeth at the Wembley Arena and he got up on stage and did It's Electric. And, uh, and of course, then people started thinking, well, maybe we could put Diamond Head back together. And, of course, once that was put together, um, it was, well, Paul's the guy for the gigs because he's worked with you, Brian, and he's worked with me. And, you know, it's, that's it. We don't even have to look for a drummer. We only need a bass player, uh, which, you know, we ended up with Eddie Muhan uh, before Pete Vukovich, who later went on to form Three Colors Red. Um, so for me, I'd always, I've always been a Diamond Head fan. So even though I was in Requiem, I was a big, big Diamond Head fan. So to actually work with Brian firstly, and then Sean uh, separately, uh, was a great honour. And then also then to be actually then work with them uh, with Diamond Head was was great because not only now did I get to uh, you know play the drums for the band, but I got to sing the songs that I used to sing when I was standing in the front of the stage. 
behind him for sure. You know. so, yeah. But obviously keeping this quiet because you know obviously yeah you know Sean Sean has a very very unique voice and you know he's a very very talented songwriter and uh, singer and songwriter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but, but that lineup only lasted for the two years, really, if even that, and it kind of fell apart again. And it was about okay. ten years later when you guys started it up again. And when you think about it, you know, from then till now, you've got about twenty-eight years with Diamond Head, even though there was like a ten-year break in between. That's a long yeah. time. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost coming up to thirty years. Yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm, you know, again, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. I'm sure you've interviewed a, you know, a plethora of, you know, rock and roll cats that, you know, are sometimes the shit inter- internally that's going on is not worth the, the hassle, you know, and, and it was just like one of those things. We did the Death and Progress record, which for me was a great experience because I got to work with Andy Scarf, a uh, fantastic engineer uh, slash producer, and, um, you know, that was my first record. Uh, you know, on a major label, and you know, like, uh, it was voted um, album of the month in one of the uh, metal mags here in the UK. So that was great. You know, and then we did the uh, show with Metallica and Megadeth at Milton Keynes, and then it all just went, you know, sort of sideways. I went back to the US because I was living in the US and waited for the phone call. And every time I kept hearing, "Say we've been offered this tour, you've been offered that tour," it was like. No, we're not doing it. No, we're not doing it. I was like, well, then that's it. The band just fell apart again. And then it re-emerged in 2000, I think, as an acoustic project. And then in 2001, uh, we put back together um, the, the band, Electric. I got asked if I wanted to do it. And we got Eddie back in on bass. We did a few shows and we went into the studio. And again, if you've read Brian's book, it all went tits up in the studio again. Yeah. Um, and we got to a point where we were invited to play Wacken, and uh, Sean didn't do the Wacken show, and uh, that was it. it. The band then had to really make a serious choice, and it was a difficult one to make. And um, you know, it was, do we carry on like this, or you know, do we just quit? You know, you can't get invited to play Wacken and then you know, fucking you know, do some stupid shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. You know, it's, it's crazy. So he chose not to do it, and um, you know, so we had to do what we had to do, and you know, we might we were lucky to find Nick, and he kept the band going, you know, from like 2000 and sort of through, uh, four through 2008, and then he and his wife and family immigrated to Australia. So we tried to make it work. We, you know, we didn't do any records, but we did three tours of the US. We did one in 2011, which was great. We did an East Coast run in 2013 with Nick. And then Nick couldn't do the West Coast one in 2013 because his father had passed away. And that's where we had Chaz West, who was, you know, originally with um, uh, Jason Bonham's uh, band and uh, worked with um, George Lynch and a plethora of other, you know, cats. So he came in and stepped in for that. And then we tried to work with Nick and make it work. But again, there comes a point when... Um, you got one guy living in America and one guy living in Australia and the promoter says, I want you to do the gig and you're like, well, who's going to fly over and who's not going to fly over? So, yeah. um, you know, we got to the point where we'll just get a deaf singer in and that's, we just did that one show with Raz and then um, uh, Raz decked again for the tour in 2014 uh, because, uh, you know, Nick, Nick was unavailable. And then obviously once, you know, Nick quit, you know, Raz was now not singing as just a death. 
you know, I, you know, I sat him in the van and said, look, look, I don't know if you've heard, but Nick's quit. So why don't you now go up and start singing it there as if singing, you know, you want the gig? And he did. And as I say, the rest is history. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty so, much. So, you know, I mean, he's just a, he's a phenomenal singer, you know, Brad. I mean, he's a fantastic singer. Absolutely. Well, you know, in between that time from the, the when Diamond had reunited till they got back together kind of officially, like nine, ten years later, in between that, is that when you decided, let's give Requiem another go and, and, and start it up again? Okay, the whole Requiem, getting Requiem back together again came about really a very, very, very fortuitous uh, incident. Uh, I was living in Martinez in California, and uh, I was recuperating from a spine injury. Um, some major surgery that I had two spine fusions. And, um, anyway, I was out walking my dog with uh, a, a neighbour, uh, and this dog was roaming the street. I was like, oh, that dog looks very good. You don't normally see a dog roaming the street around here. So, you know, it was a friendly dog, managed to come over. My two dogs were, you know, pretty much in couch potatoes, really. I had a Labrador that was more like a, you know, golden recliner than a golden Labrador. And a German Shepherd dog that was more interested in just sitting outside the line in the sun. So, so when this dog came running up, you know, everyone is friendly. So I looked at the dog collar. I thought, oh, it's not too far away. It's been like seven houses away. So I went inside, called the, called the number, and uh, along comes a Welshman by the name of Paul Parry. So we cut a long story short. We start talking, and he says, oh, I used to be in a band called Tradiga back in um, back in the UK. Now, Tradiga is a band formed by uh, Tony Borge from Budgie and Ray Phillips. Uh, so I said, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm drummer in Diamond Dead, but we haven't done anything in a long time and blah, blah, blah. So we started talking and talking. Then I got a phone call to Diamond Head were going to be invited to play a metal show. It was Metal Mayhem or something, four in New Jersey. So I had to fly back to the United Kingdom to rehearse with the band because we did, I think, three or four dates before flying to the U.S. to do this date, this, this show. And because I'd met Paul and I'd heard him sing, I made a point to go and see Steve. And I said, look, I'm going to be coming back to the U.K. now because D.H. is now officially up and running again. So I found us a vocalist, okay, Oh, really, his dog found His dog found me, you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> um, so we've got a guy, and once you hear him, he's, he's just fantastic. I mean, he's, he's, he's a completely different singer to Raz. You know, Paul, you know, Raz, Raz is Raz, folks have said he's a little bit more, if they had to nail him down to one vocalist, it would be Chris Cornell. Okay, yeah. from Soundgarden. Okay, now, Paul is Glenn Hughes meets Sammy Hagar meets David Coverdale. Okay? So, that, you know, so they're complete, two completely different kinds of vocalists and singing styles. And that's the kind of style that Steve was looking for. So once Steve heard him, he was like, okay, now we have to start going through old boxes and finding cassettes. <laughs> cassettes, what the hell is a cassette? Yeah, and thankfully <laughs> we still had them. We still had them, and we still had a cassette player, and we managed to put it all back together again. Um, and we still do have the Mists of Hell tape. Uh, folks are, uh, you know, wanting to release that, because that, that uh, demo has uh, Mike Reed on it. You know, I think it's four tracks, three or four tracks. So folks have said, look, why don't you put that out on, um, you know, put it out on vinyl limited, but 
I think we've only got a cassette version of it, and I know you can do wonders in this digital age, but I'm not proficient enough to do it, and I know Steve's not proficient enough to do it, but <clears throat> if you could possibly get it polished up and maybe do a little bit of tidying up, obviously we don't have the individual tracks or files, so it is what it is, it's raw, it's, you know, in 17, 18-year-olds going in, thinking, you know, looking lesbian sort of tells you, pal, <laughs> and, you know what I mean, and, going in and fucking having fun because you're in a studio. This is the shit, man. This is what you want to do. So, you know, of course, if I was to look, listen, listen back to it now with critical ears, I'm probably like, oh, no, really did I do that? Listen to me. I'm drumming all over the place. I'm not caring that there's a singer. I don't care. I'm playing the drum fill. <laughs> so, so that's how it came about. And then, obviously, Steve and I, we kept throwing things backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And then uh, we recorded that album via the internet. Total yeah, the, the the single, you know, is actually the two songs from the single, the Angel of Sin single, are on the Time Will Tell record. Angel of Sin yeah. and Sacrificial Wanderer. Did you ever think about going yeah. back and re-recording those earlier demo songs? Uh, Missed. Well, Miss yeah, the yeah. Devil Shine. Yep, yep. You know, we have we have discussed that. You know, again, we also have the songs from the Steve Mills era, which again are a little bit, you know, just a different different type of vocal style. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we've we've discussed it. You know, there's a lot of things on the table at the moment. The fact that this time will tell us come out, and now as I say, you know, a lot of folks don't, you know, didn't don't didn't realise that this record we did via the net, and um, you know, all we did was trade things backwards and forwards, and Steve would just do a you know a guide, you know, with a with a click and send it over to me in California, and I just put the drum track down on it, and need can go back and. We keep puffing with it, and then once he got a guitar on, and then Gordon would put the bass on, and then Paul would come around the house and he'd sing in the bedroom, singing into the closet, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then you know we brought all the files over to England, and then Andy Scarf did a little bit of mixing, and then it was finished at M2 Studios with Mark Stewart, uh, who is Magnum's front of house. I don't know if you've heard of the band Magnum, but yep. Magnum have been going a long, long time in the yeah. UK. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was really was peace like that. And, you know, we are thinking and discussing possibility of doing another one, you know. Um, but uh, we just got to make sure, again, because I'm, I'm here in Normandy and Paul's back in California. Again, it's the logistics of making it all work. And, of course, we were hoping to, if possible, and, and another record was in, 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 in the definite pipeline that um, either Paul could have come over to the UK or here in Normandy, or I could have gone over there and we could have done the vocals. Otherwise, uh, you know, with this, you know, what's going on in the world at the moment, it could be a, an internet file sharing job and we might just have to do it that way if, you know, or we wait and do it a different way. You know what I mean? Because we've already done it that way once. You know, it might be nice to see if we get everybody in a room and actually play the song before doing that. But that would be nice. Well, no, you you're going to have plenty of time on your hands to work on the record because nobody, at least can, no, nobody can play live anymore. All the, all the, no, no, no. shut down. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm just getting email after email saying, yeah, you know, let's show that Dr. H was playing another festival. We were playing the Bang Your Head Festival on July the 3rd. Um, no, sorry, we were playing Barcelona July the 3rd and we are playing uh, Bang Your Head um, and end of July. That has just been uh, cancelled. Hopefully to be rescheduled for 2021. The Giants of Rock show in Belgium, Liege in Belgium, that's just been called. So 
Uh, we have Bloodstock in the UK at the moment that is still going ahead, uh, which is August the 9th, and then we have um, possibly a show July the 3rd, a festival in Barcelona. But at the moment, yeah, everything's just slowly being cancelled. Owen and Donald are also doing Sao Paulo in Brazil, September the 5th. Uh, again, we don't know whether that show is going to be going on, we hope, or whether or not people will be wanting to travel, not knowing what's going on in the world. And, you know, this COVID thing, you know, it, it seems to, you know, every day of the week, it's got a, it's got a different thing that you've got to be, do this, you've got to do that, carefully, yeah. don't wear this, don't wear that, you know. So you know, nobody knows, but, you know, obviously here in, in, in Normandy, France has just extended. Germany's cancelled all outdoor shows and festivals, large gatherings till the end of August. Um, you know, um, Belgium has, has just done the same. So the UK hasn't done that yet, but it, it, it possibly could follow suit. Yeah, we're, we're in the same boat over here. We're kind of shut down till September too. Yes, yeah, so yeah, this is a good time. So um, you know, and again, you know, with the dissonance and all the PR that's coming with it, folks like yourselves. It's you know it's really good to in fact that you know I mean you know you might as well you have to tell the truth you know we weren't Jeff Leopard we weren't Iron Maiden we weren't Saxon and we weren't Diamond Head and Tiger Foot Fantang etc etc um, because they were uh, uh, a couple of years before us in joining this thing that became known as the new wave of British heavy metal so we came in at the tail end of it but you know we were we were a good band you know we're a good band. You know, I think for our style of music, we probably lacked that Ian Dillon. I think if Angel of Sin would have had Paul Parry on it back in 1980, you know, we could have made a little bit of a stir. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, it, you know it's metal. You've got to have your guitarist. Steve's a great guitarist. He's a great songwriter. And nothing was wrong with Mike Reed as a lyricist, but he wasn't my, you know, if I had to say, if I've got to start a singer, that I'm, I'm going to yeah. go Morrissey. Morris is not one of them, you know. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can appreciate what he does. Please don't misunderstand me. I, you know, what he does, but, that, you know, that's that cup of tea, you know what I mean? I'd sooner have somebody like Ian Gillen, you know, um, you know, Coverdale, you know, Sammy Hagar, you know, Dagley Roth, you know, Bon Scott, you know, Sean Harris, you know, you know, Raz, Paul Parry, you know, those, those are the kind of vocalists that, you know, I like. And, you know, and Dio as well, because I was a huge Rainbow fan, you know. You know, oh. so I, I, you know, I start, I start Diamond Head's intro to help us with uh, the start to Stargazer, you know, because uh, <laughs> again, I was a huge Cozy Pell fan, you know. Yeah, Cozy was Pell, the man. And Ian Pace, you know, the three big, the three big UK drummers, Ian Pace, Cozy Pell, and John Bonham. Yeah. Absolutely, none of them are with us anymore, which is a shame. But no, no. they left yeah. their mark. Yeah, no, they certainly left their mark with me. That's a certain yeah. fact. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, Carl, I'm not. Again, gonna, you know. I'm starting to lose the connection here, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I, I do appreciate you talking with me today. And listen, when you get that new record okay. out, you come back on here, man. Okay. We'll do this again. Okay, I'd love to see Mike. All right, mate. It's been my pleasure, Carl. You have a great evening. I'll talk All to right. you real soon. Stay safe out there. You too, man. Be good. Take, Take care. care. Bye bye.
right, that was Rated X with Headless. Before that, some Requiem with Angel of Sin. Carl was a really nice guy, and it was a pleasure talking to him. Uh, Rated X were banned out of New Jersey. They put out one EP in 87, and then kind of dissipate off the face of the earth, but they were a really good band. Maybe I'll try to look these guys up, see if I can find them. There was another Rated X that came out of Florida at around the same time, pretty much, 84, 85, who just had a single out, and nothing more than that either, so... You know, but these were the days before the internet, before people could find out if there were multiple bands with the same names. You know, now you can just type in the name and, you know, it comes up and you can go. But you'll still see bands today using names of classic metal bands, you know. There's like a half a dozen tyrants out there. There's a half a dozen this band and that band. I mean, come on, just type the name into the internet. If a band comes up their name, look for something else. All right, we got to get to the interview with Oscar from Ambush in a little bit. We ran really late talking to Carl. We'll play a couple of more songs before we talk to him. And then we'll take maybe around 7.30, but we'll do one or two more songs between now and then. How about, uh, I don't know, how about a little Living Death? We'll follow it up with Raven. And maybe we'll just do Living Death and jump in the ambush. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. 
Cheers, Mike. Hi, Oscar. How are you today? <laughs> I'm bloody brilliant. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm glad we got to talk. There was a little confusion over the time the last one, so I'm glad we're both here today. Yeah, no problems. I mean, uh, uh, I, I guess we had summertime while you had wintertime or something. Yeah, we set our clocks back an hour in March, and it throws everybody in the world off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I, guess, I, I guess we're on the right track now. Absolutely, and I'm glad we get to talk because, I, you know, I have to tell you, Infidel, I mean, unbelievable. You guys, it took five years to get a new record, but it was well worth the wait when you hear what's on this album. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it it means a lot to us. The the reception we've got this far is incredible, and yeah, it's, we're just honored to hear all the good words, and we're still waiting for the bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you really pay attention to the reviews? Do they really matter to you? Because you know, a lot of people today just want to get people upset, and you know, and say bad things for no reason at all. And half of them really never even gave the album a chance. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, of course, you 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 want to get a good reception overall from critics, but uh, we don't depend on good critics, I I think. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's more of a an egoistic, uh, self fulfilling business to to read good reviews. So you 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 tend to feel good about yourself when you read a really good review. But yeah. You also get energy from reading bad reviews, but we haven't seen any this far. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Uh, I mean, you know, there was a good five-year wait between the last record and, and this one, and you could definitely see the growth within the band between that time period. I mean, it, it still sounds like Ambush, even if you go back to the first record, but, you know, there's definitely a big growth. You think that's from being together now for so long? I mean, seven years, you know. Yeah, it's been quite some time, and I think we are – matured as a as a group uh, actually uh, yeah infidel took some time to 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 finally record and stuff like that we've had some problems in in the band uh, the bassist ludwig he got really sick and uh, we, the focus of the band kind of leaned more towards ludwig's health than the next album in that period of time but uh we felt like, okay, now we need a new lineup. So it's actually Ludwig is playing some parts of the bass, but not a lot on this album. Actually, it's Oscar playing the bass, and uh, he, is, um, he is a powerhouse. He is just crazy. Um, and I feel we have a really good lineup on this album. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to keep a lineup together today, but you guys have done pretty well over the last seven years maintaining that core lineup of the group. Is it a challenge trying to keep people, you know, interested in, you know, and just being a part of a band? There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. Is that the hardest part of keeping a lineup together? I mean, we we are we started this band together as friends, so it's it's been hard really to to get rid of guys. <laughs> we we haven't got got rid of any guys uh, in this band because we can't because we're best friends, you know. <laughs> We 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 tend to um, uh, like pull the rope together in the same direction all the time, and we don't argue a lot. I think we we um, actually Adam, who who recently left the band, uh, our guitarist, he 
he was kind of yeah I, I, i'm trying to to reach new goals in life you know and yeah we totally understand and it's more of a friendship you know being in a band for for me is something very personal that it go, goes beyond the music so to speak and i think that goes for the rest of the guys as well so yeah it's not hard keeping the band together but uh everyone needs to be 100% focused all the time you know because we don't have space left for second thought second thought thoughts or anything to survive in this uh, very underground business yeah, that's very true. I mean, since you were all friends from the beginning, I mean, was this more of a bunch of friends getting together and, you know, writing music and starting a band and just having fun with it? Or from the very beginning, did you say, you know, we want to take this as far as we can go, you know, get a record contract, get signed, play out there as much as we can and, and take it to the next level? Yeah, it was more or less. We, we've been listening to music and partying and drinking from when we were teenagers, you know, uh, and... At some point, I mean, all the guys played in different bands and we didn't really like to play in those bands. We we, we liked more to, to stay together as a group. And then I think it was Olaf who uh, got the idea, yeah, let's start the heavy metal band because we, we are listening to the same music, all of us, and we have a passion for the early 80s heavy metal. So let's, let's do, do something together. And then we started rehearsing, and yeah, fuck, this is this feels really good, you know. And we we got kind of a we had a quite quite a big friend zone that um, rehearsed with us and drink drank beer, and um, during the weekends we had a lot of partying around the the rehearsal and writing sessions. So yeah, it was a fun time in the beginning, uh, but. Um, yeah, I think we we didn't reach for very high goals or anything like that. We just wanted to reach out with our music and from the beginning the goal was to to get a record contract, a record deal with some label and we wanted to release our album on vinyl and then Hyrule picked us up and then the next goal after that was okay, let's go over all over Europe and play, you know, and then, then that happened, and so we just followed the small step of uh, mankind all the way to where we are today, and we are still uh, animals. <laughs> you, know, you said from the very beginning, you know, it was a goal to get signed to a label, and you were signed to High Roller. I mean, I, maybe a little over a year after forming. With only having the, the demo out, I guess, around that time for them to hear. So that's pretty impressive that you were signed that quickly and you've been with them, you know, for three records now. I guess we were really lucky to 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 come in contact with High Roller, uh, and to get the deal with High Roller was probably the most important moment in Ambush career <laughs> because uh, when we released our demo, we actually had quite a few record labels contacting us and wanted us to yeah, sign this and that, you know, because they understood that we had something probably. <laughs> but High Roller, Stefan, he, uh, he contacted us and uh, then we knew, okay, this is the way to go. 
and we've been with High Rollers since then. And sure. uh, we have a beautiful relationship. Uh, we we have no uh, like uh, intention of uh, go, go, going towards any other label or anything like that at the moment because High Roller is yeah dedicated to 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 the traditional metal scene. That they are. It's very true. And you know, Oscar, if you go back to the beginning when the band forming, was there a distinctive sound that you had in mind? I know you said you know you you guys loved the '80s metal scene and you definitely draw from that. But was it a sound that took a time? You know, took some time to kind of form and to get the right formula for the songwriting down? Or did you guys know from the very beginning what you wanted to sound like? Yeah, we we wanted to sound sound like a a traditional old school heavy metal band uh, from the early 80s at, at the, I mean at the first rehearsals we had some songs pre-written and they were like we listened to a lot of uh, Judas Priest and uh, Accept uh, back then I mean all all the parties had Judas Priest and Accept and we <laughs> screaming for vengeance and defenders of the faith were smashing all the time so we got our influences from accepting Judas Priest from the beginning, I would say, and maybe Riot uh, had a quite a big influence. And also, uh, we we listened to Merciful Faith, which could be uh, one influence as well to the lyrics, at least. Uh, many many influences that were uh, like common for us. We we didn't have a lot of different influences. We okay, we want to play this kind of music and we had a, a a very focused target what we wanted to sound like and I don't think we've uh, stepped away from that um, on the for for these three albums I think we've been quite uh, conservative <laughs> what you can say wow you know every musician and every band has their influences on what they you know like and what they want to sound like but you know, taking those influences and turning them into your own original sound is a whole nother thing. And you guys did that. Was it something that came naturally where you said, you know, you know, we have a sound. Like when people hear your music, if they're a fan of the band, they're going to say, this is Ambush. I know who this is. The same way they would hit Judas Priest or Iron Maiden and know who they were. You know, and you guys did accomplish creating your own sound out of all those influences. Was it a natural progression? I, I, I want to say that, I mean, we we always wanted to... To, to, we always wanted to be somewhat, you know, independent in in our way of creating music, but uh, we had no intention of being like re- reinventing the wheel or anything. But um, I'm glad you say that we 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 sound like Ambush now, and uh, because we have we've had a lot of people coming up to us and yeah, you sound like Judas Priest, you sound like a, except yeah, obviously because we that's our gods you know we 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 must sound like Judas priest and accept because we it's our biggest influences i mean Judas priest's biggest influence probably was led zeppelin or something else in the 60s but um and they they were accused of being rip-offs and we've been accused of being rip-offs as well but um i don't really care about that i think we have a, an own sound and um, uh, it's it's not about making something completely different to be uh, to be relevant. I think. 
That's very true. I mean, you know, your vocal sound has a very distinctive sound, and when when I hear it, I know who I'm listening to. There's a, a very distinctive guitar sound and, and a crunching sound that goes on, and it all kind of leads to to me the ambush sound, and it really shines on Infidel, where you guys just went, I think, above and beyond. Uh, you know, your last two records, which I thought were phenomenal to begin with. I just think you guys took the band to a whole nother level with this record. Uh, thank you very much. Warm, warms my heart. You know, uh, listen, you guys are doing it. it for so long, and it's been it's it's been quite tough times uh, to release this uh, Infidel album. <laughs> We've been working on it so hard, so it feels great. You say yeah. that. Thank you. Well, uh, well, you know, I, I know, like you said, over the last few years, you kind of had the setbacks of loss, health, and everything, and now the album comes out, and the whole world is shut down because <laughs> of the yeah, COVID yeah. thing, and bands aren't playing live anymore. They can't, you know, and that's like, you know, bands need to play live, you know, the for promotion, for sales of merchandise. It's, yeah. I mean, how is it affecting Ambush right now? I mean, is there any place in Europe that's open right now for you guys to get to the play? No, no. Nothing. Everything is basically shut down but uh i mean yeah you can call it bad luck or anything but uh we don't depend on luck anyways i mean we will come back and we will play our shows and we will uh, we will uh, definitely do something really good with this album uh, for for the next months to come um, we had a tour in may together with skullfist and Am- uh, enforcer and um it's probably going to be cancelled, uh, but we just postponed the tour, and I hope there will be a lot of good shows for the fans to come. Yeah, true. I, I know here in the U.S. are trying to get things up and running again by May 1st, and maybe you know the rest of the world will follow. If it does get postponed, it's better to be postponed a few weeks and to get back out there. But you know, you're one band out of a million that is just stuck in this position right now. So you kind of have to make the best of it. It's all really any band can do. Yeah, and you you got to stay together also. It's it's not about Ambush as a band. It's about the industry. I mean, it's about everything, every single step on the way to 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 make a show. I mean, the people, that might affect the people's economy. That might affect the, the venues. I mean, basically, they have a hard time right now. So we got to work together and realize that it, it, it's a it, it's a really important thing that people have music to to listen to and to to go to live shows to um yeah culture is an important thing uh yeah it it's it it makes you think uh, beyond true it, it's going to take a little while for things to get up and running again but i hope that it does happen soon enough and all these great bands that get out on the road, yourself included, because, you know, there's no better way of hearing these songs than when a band performs live in front of you. The, I, you know, I love albums, but there's nothing about being in a, in a room, looking you guys up on stage, hearing you guys put your hearts into it. That's where it's all at for me as a fan of music. Yeah, that, that's the same for me as a musician. I mean, we're a live band. We want to play live. So uh, we're just waiting this, waiting for this coronavirus to to get over with and then we'll back on we'll be back on the road as soon That's as possible. Great. Yeah. Well well I mean in the downtime from like, you know, the live performances and the touring, I mean, is the band gonna keep active in any other way? I see a lot of bands now that are going on Facebook and YouTube and doing these like live performances from the rehearsal studios. Is is that maybe an opportunity or a chance for you guys to do that to kind of promote the album and keep it going until you can get out live? 
Yeah, sure, maybe. But um yeah, we we haven't got any plans of doing any live streams or any uh, any stuff like that, but uh who knows? Maybe we'll have to do that <laughs> to to stay stay awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh that that would be great. I would love to see that. And I would love to have you guys come back to the US and just come to the US, you know, to play yeah. when this is all said and done. It would be yeah. amazing to love see you here, but we don't kind of have the festivals like they do in Europe, so it's hard for a lot of bands to come here and like and tour. Yeah, it's hard, and it's hard with the visas as well. I've heard they are really expensive, so you have to sneak your way into the country and stuff like that, and <laughs> you take a, a big risk. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. Our president doesn't want anybody here no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, That's I, the only I, way to get I, in. But yeah, passport doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, people don't realize that because they'll always say, you know, why can't you come play in my country or my city or my state or my town? But they don't realize how much is involved. So whether you're a small band or a big band, there's a lot involved in getting there and making that happen, especially on the money front. And a lot of fans, you know, they're kind of blinded by what it takes for you to come over to play for them. Yeah, sure. It's it's, it's a big um, – I mean, you you got to organize a big thing to, to be able to come over and you um, – you you got to prepare months ahead and maybe year a year ahead to be able to come over so but um we will go to united states for sure uh, i mean i last time i looked um, up on the, some sales and streams and everything like that yeah united states was our top um what do you say nowadays customer or whatever yeah so <laughs> So I guess we have to come over to the United States again. We played in Chicago a couple of years ago. No, that was a beautiful experience. Uh, we played at Ragnarokker. Yes, the festival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The beautiful festival. I, I miss those guys. The organizers were really kind to us. So yeah. we want to come over again. Well, they changed the name of it. It's called Legions of Metal Festival right now. Uh, there's a different organizer, but it's still a big draw. And if that can get you guys back here, it would be amazing. I mean, you were talking about, like, you know, looking at the stats and everything. And does the Internet and social media help a band out knowing, like, where the following is, if they're, if they're big in China, if they need to work on maybe being in South America? Does it let you know where the people are that are listening to the band? Does that help you out any? I don't know if it helps us out, but uh, actually we, we just found out that you can you – can, actually log on to your Spotify artist. We just found out a couple of months ago. So I've been looking there and and yeah, it's it's quite interesting, but it's easy to be uh, to be stupid uh, because not all countries have Spotify and I like the mystery around the gig, you know, you want to play somewhere and you don't know how many people will show up and it's more of a <laughs> you want to be you want to get surprised also as a band but it, of course it's the, the possibilities right now must be much uh, greater than in the 80s when no band had a clue how many people would show up to a gig now actually we have some i mean we have we have a slight like we can we can make small calculations of how many people will show up so that helps us for sure but we don't actually make tours around okay let's look at spotify or whatever to 
to, to make a tour, you know, where we have most fans. We want to spread this to the whole wide, wor wide world. So it doesn't matter if we get streams in Kenya, then we are very happy. <laughs> That's true. It, it is important because you, you know if you focus on one certain area and neglect the rest, it can hurt a band in the end because you kind of want to take over the whole world. So like coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, we are like a coronavirus right now. We are just in the in 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 the starting phase. We are in Wuhan in China, ready to <laughs> explode. <laughs> Well, you guys are definitely going to do it, especially with the new record. And, Oscar, I'm not going to keep you. I appreciate you talking with me today. Infidel, one of the best records right now. You're in my top ten for the whole year, and I don't think it's going to move from there. Uh, it's been out for a couple of weeks now for people. Uh, where's the best place to keep up with the band, find out what's going on in the future when all this kind of ends? I would say follow us on Facebook. Facebook is the easiest way. We also have an Instagram, so uh, follow us and we will keep you updated. That sounds great. Oscar, have a great night, my friend. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Take have care. A, have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, man.
right, I want to thank our guest tonight, Carl Wilcox from Requiem and Diamond Head. I want to thank Oscar Jacobson of Ambush, Two Killer Bands. Pick up the new Ambush record. It's absolutely solid from start to finish. We tried interviewing Oscar last month, but because of the change in time over there in the seasons, everything kind of got messed up. So I was glad we were able to connect and get that interview going. All right, I'll see you guys next Sunday night. Don't forget to tune in. Who's on next week? Let me see. Mark Ruffneck from Oz is our guest, as well as Rich Rudder from Toledo Steel. So uh, I'll see you guys next Sunday night. Let's wrap it up with the little raven and hell patrol. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Good night.